Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm your host, Bill Arnold. I've got my Bible open to Hebrews chapter 4, for the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I love that verse. I memorized that probably in college, and I still th- I still think about it all the time because it's, uh, it's such a solid verse. I just love it. All right, the show today is going to be great. I know you're looking forward to it. Rob Louie is my guest uh, to get things started. And, of course, he's the executive editor of The Daily Signal. And you can always head over to dailysignal.com to see all the great uh, reporting that goes on there. Rob, welcome. Hey, it's good to be back, Bill. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. So um, I think we can just call her Amy now because she's kind of a (laughs) megastar. She is, yes. For a lot of uh, conservative and and Christian women, I know that uh, she is a role model, uh, and for men too, I, I should say, not just not just women, but no, she is uh, truly somebody who I think exceeded expectations, probably even the expectations of Democrats, as she worked her way through uh, this confirmation process in a, in a very swift manner. Uh, no hiccups along the way, mm-hmm. uh, which I think a lot of people expected based on what they saw with the the Kavanaugh hearings, the last minute accusations. That uh, that really delayed things, but uh, this just just goes to show that uh, when when Republicans, when conservatives are committed to doing something and getting it done, uh, nothing can stop them. And uh, and too often, I think in the past, uh, as you and I have talked about, you know, it's a matter of um, of them getting stymied uh, or tripped up uh, along the way, and uh, either by by dirty tricks or or just uh, you know having this uh, this lack of unity uh, and purpose. And so uh, what she uh, what she represents is uh, is a significant addition to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people who who vote purely on that issue, I think that uh, they recognize that this has been nothing but an extraordinary first term for for President Trump. Uh, three Supreme Court justices and uh, and and hun- uh, you know hundreds of other uh, judges at the lower level, the appellate court and district court. She said, uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett said. In her opening statement, I never let the law define my identity or crowd out the rest of my life. What a wonderful perspective. Yeah, that is it's so true. I mean, she said all all the right things along <laughs> the she? way. I mean, right right from the beginning. I mean, truly inspiring in terms of how she uh, how she was able to connect with uh, the American people. I think sometimes lawyers and, and judges, uh, uh, law professors, you know, they they. <laughs> Kind of operate in a, in a in a different space uh, where it's sometimes difficult to understand uh, the jargon or the terminology. But she just has a way of speaking uh, directly uh, with with authority, but also with an authenticity that I think people can uh, understand and appreciate. And I know during her her confirmation hearings and even in her her speech at the White House at the very beginning in September and and last night, uh, you know she she was able to talk about things in a way that really did I think resonate. And hopefully resonated, Bill, with people across the political spectrum. I think it was really disappointing to see that not a single Democrat uh, supported her confirmation uh, when 
at the same time, I think Republicans disagreed with Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan when President Obama nominated them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they still found uh, found a way to, to vote for them unless they were stridently opposed. Um, and you didn't see that last night. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, the first time in, in well over 100 years that's happened. And uh, Chuck Schumer said that it's the possibly the darkest day in American history. Well, I, that was kind of shocking. Yeah, I'd I have to disagree with with, with Senator Schumer. Oh, I think that that's a I. little bit of uh, a political, um, you know, exaggeration. Uh, and and I think that we have to understand that uh, we're we're a week away from a, an election. A lot of people have already voted, and so you know, both sides are going to try to use this to motivate, uh, you know their people, their base, uh, to turn out and vote. Uh, they recognize what's at stake. It's not just the presidency. It's also the U.S. Senate. There are a number of seats that could change hands uh, this cycle. And uh, and so, yes, uh, absolutely, you're going to hear heightened rhetoric uh, probably from both sides. But in, in this case, you heard a lot of it from the Democrats, I think because they were, uh, they were you know, sorely disappointed about how this played out. I think that they felt that they would be able to to stop it. Uh, but every time I saw a public opinion poll come out, uh, it just showed that Amy Coney Barrett's uh, popularity and the support for her confirmation was increasing. So it's hard for for the Democratic Party to, to stop her, particularly when they don't control the Senate, but also when they have public opinion against them. Mm-hmm. Rob, she just vacated a seat. Who's going to be filling that one? Do you know? Uh, we don't know yet, but I expect that uh, that they will try to move quickly. Uh, the, the circuit court, she, she vacated a seat on the, the Seventh Circuit, and mm-hmm. uh, the Seventh Circuit represents a uh, uh, Midwest uh, area of the country, and it's uh, an important circuit, as, the, as all of them are, because that's uh, the body that determines even more cases than the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court actually determines a relatively uh, few cases on the, on the grand scale of things. Obviously, there are significant decisions that they do make, uh, but the appellate courts uh, handle a lot of those cases. And so uh, President Trump and I think the Senate will will try, uh, probably obviously not before election, it would be too quick to do it uh, within the next seven days. But uh, but certainly in a lame duck Congress, I, I think uh, you might have that happen. There's a lot to still uh, happen in the lame duck, uh, I should note, Bill, including a, a spending bill. And uh, there's talk of doing more COVID relief. And so um, you know, it's that weird period of time when you have some people who've lost elections or are retiring, and that's why they call it the lame duck, but they still need to do the people's business. Mm-hmm. Rob, where are we with the threat of uh, voter fraud in the election coming up? Where, what are you feeling about that? Well, it's uh, it's it's still a significant issue, and uh, and I think that there's obviously even more attention being paid to it uh, than ever before, in part because you've had uh, such a, a great many people who have voted early. Uh, some of them are voting early in person, uh, which is, is is my preference personally, and uh, and others have used uh, mail-in ballots or absentee ballots or um, you know a variety of of forms that uh, that they can exercise their civic duty. And I think one of the things that, that we fear is that uh, if you're not voting in person, there are different ways that uh, people can engage in fraud. Uh, some of it, by the way, might be un- unintentional. Uh, like, for instance, uh, we've seen the Postal Service uh, lose mail. I think we've all <laughs> probably had that experience in our lifetime. And, uh, and then there's others who, who actively are trying to change the outcome of elections. And there are just a sampling. The Heritage Foundation does just a sampling of cases uh, from across the country. 
and we've come up with almost 1300 examples of convicted convictions for election fraud mm -hmm. and uh and i think that that just goes to demonstrate that it happens not just on on these big presidential elections but it happens at the local level too in fact sometimes it's probably easier uh to commit fraud at the local level um if if you know they're really determined to do it and so it's important to be vigilant uh we just saw last week by the way i thought this was interesting uh you know so many uh in the in the, the left-wing media bill uh, always uh, deny that this is an issue except when it's a republican doing it <laughs> and uh you saw this in 2018 in the north carolina congressional district or the ninth district when a republican uh committed uh in his campaign committed fraud the election was tossed out and uh and he was he was eventually um uh, you know, they were, they were held accountable. Uh, and then just last week in, in Pennsylvania, there was a Republican Trump supporter who who was accused of voter fraud. So, of course, you know, there's plenty of headlines about that. Um, so I just think it's something that we all need to be vigilant and mindful about. It's also one of the reasons why I think it's so important to have uh, dedicated poll workers and others who are, are part of that election uh, integrity in our country uh, to ensure uh, that, uh, that that's uh, it's carried out lawfully. Mm -hmm. Virginia Allen uh, over at the Daily Signal, who is a, a news producer of, for the show, did a quite a interesting video on what Kenosha, Wisconsin looks like now and did a really nice story on it. The video is very powerful, Rob, and they did. Uh, she did a really nice job. Well, one of the things that we love to do at the Daily Signal is get out of Washington and tell these stories uh, across America. And of course, because of COVID-19 and some travel restrictions, we haven't been able to do that as much in 2020, but we're starting to do more of it. And Virginia did spend several days with our, our producers in Kenosha. And uh, this is the first of several videos that we're going to be producing, telling the stories about the people that she met and showing the images of what it's like there. Uh, these are probably not things that uh, your listeners uh, would see or hear about uh, were it not for organizations like ours, uh, because many uh, have moved on uh, after the initial riots. I think that's the tendency. You don't have a lot of follow-up from, from some of these outlets. And so we thought it was really important to, to take a look at what happened and also talk to the people whose lives were, were really impacted by it. And uh, and yes, uh, the images are, are are really startling. I encourage your listeners to go go watch the video. Um, in fact, one of the things that we saw happen, and uh, you know, this is just another case of social media companies <laughs> acting, uh, perhaps with a certain bias. Uh, Twitter labeled it sensitive material. I didn't see anything in that video that was particularly sensitive. I mean, it was a real life situation uh, of what the riots destroyed in that city. And uh, and so Twitter was blocking the video for some users, and we complained to Twitter, and uh, and we wrote a story about it, and we put the pressure on Twitter to reverse its decision. But uh, but you know, uh, Bill, it's uh, it seems like a, a never ending battle with these social media companies that uh, that we have to find ourselves in. Yeah, really hard to believe that uh, Twitter slapped a sensitive material label on that video. I mean, it is it's a hard video to watch uh, because of what happened in Kenosha, but it's it's all there. It's uh, I recommend. Uh, checking it out at dailysignal.com and the twitter and facebook execs they're headed to uh to testify tomorrow aren't they that's right, they are. Uh, they are going to be appearing uh, before the Senate Commerce Committee. Uh, this is obviously a Republican-led committee. Mm -hmm. uh, the Google, Google's uh, CEO will be there as well, so it'll be the big three. They're going to uh, appear virtually. And uh, and I expect that there's going to be some tough questions about the, the bias, uh, incidents like the one I just mentioned. Uh, there's also going to be a discussion of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. Uh, some of your listeners might, uh, might know this uh, particular statute because President Trump, whenever 
where he encounters social media bias says repeal 230. Mm. Uh, well, I disagree with the president on that. I don't think it's uh, it, it needs to be repealed. I do think that there are some refinements and adjustments that should be made uh, to to that statute. Uh, this was enacted in 1996 uh, before these companies existed. And so it's uh, it's time uh, for Congress to take a closer look at that and update it for for 2020. And I think this could be the beginning of doing that. I think that tech companies probably are going to resist that. Uh, they like having this immunity. Uh, they, they don't like to be in a position where they can be sued by the American people uh, for for violating the law. And so they want to keep this protection in place. And uh, and that's why it needs to be done carefully. We obviously mm -hmm. uh, don't want to, to, to stymie the growth, uh, the great growth that technology companies have had in this country. But at the same time, I think that uh, we need to figure out ways to hold these companies accountable. Yeah. So in 48 hours, 40 businesses in Kenosha were just completely ravaged. Uh, and it was really left-wing violence. So is that why they're sl slapping these the sensitivity um, on on the uh, video they never really tell you the okay. true reason bill but uh but i sus we suspect that what happened was there were some agitators left-wing agitators who who didn't particularly like the content of the video who mm -hmm. reported it to twitter uh, when you have a flood of complaints like that, um, sometimes the the social media companies through through bots or their own algorithm will will automatically apply that label. And for those who uh, so who have that setting in place, um, they will then see that displayed. Um, so it, uh, it it was something that definitely caught our attention and we'd like to get to the bottom of how it happened mm -hmm. um, other times they are there are more open i mean i can give you another example but the heritage foundation of which the, the the daily signal is a part and the daily signal produced a number of videos on the election on, on election integrity and mail-in voting even a video that, that suggests people you know go in person and youtube has started to put information panels uh adding context as they call it uh to these videos which essentially undermines the credibility of the videos by wow. suggesting that they that that, that YouTube users shouldn't believe what is, is in the video. Now, as a private company, I, I'd argue that YouTube can do whatever it wants, although I think it's unfair uh, for it to take this action. And uh, and that its explanation was just baffling to us. Mm -hmm. They said that uh, they compared it to people questioning the uh, the truth of the moon landing. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking, this is quite the analogy. Yeah, um, so, stretch. So I, I, I don't know, Bill. I, I think that uh, they are heading down a, a dangerous path. I think that they've managed to get, uh, they've managed to accomplish something that few in Washington are able to do. They have both Republicans and Democrats uh, on the same page, uh, both expressing their frustrations and both clamoring for action. Yeah. So uh, we shall see what happens. But uh, but certainly uh, tomorrow is going to be a big day for the big tech Indeed. Uh, executives. Yeah, let me take a little break. Rob Blue is my guest executive editor of The Daily Signal. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Rob Blue is my guest, executive editor of The Daily Signal. Rob, we're hearing a whole lot about court packing nowadays. Just getting a lot of attention for good reason. Well yeah, and and you you may have noticed that they've now changed how they're talking about uh, court packing. Uh, they're calling it uh, expanding the court, or 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 um, you know reforming the court. Mm -hmm. uh, jo Joe Biden has suggested that he would have a bipartisan commission look at all of the courts and see if they're they're operating uh, in the best interests of all the American people. And I think that uh, a couple of things happened. Uh, first of all, I think that the American people 
uh, just like when FDR plant tried to do this um, 100 years ago, uh, had no interest in it, and his own party, uh, by an overwhelming majority, rejected it. I think the American people are, are content and satisfied with the Supreme Court uh, at the current size that it is. And, uh, and, and I, I expect that they will attempt to change it. There will be those, those radical elements that, that try to change things. Uh, in order to do that, though, Bill, they would need to, to, to take another step first, and that would be to change the Senate filibuster. And I think you're also going to see a lot of clamoring to do that. Uh, that's another longtime institution in this country uh, that, that uh, you know, protects uh, the Senate uh, from, being, uh, from operating just like the House. I think it's important that the, the two houses do have distinction between them. Um, and and wh- basically what it does is it allows for the Senate to, to be a place for, for having legislation or ideas to cool down before we uh, you know, just, just enact them uh, as the House sometimes does. And, uh, and so what you, what you are seeing uh, in, in the advent and the, in the aftermath of, of Judge Amy Conant, Justice Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation uh, is, uh, is precisely uh, that. Uh, uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and others have uh, said that they will put forward this, uh, this plan uh, to expand the court. Uh, there's a range of, of ways to, to potentially do that. Some have said that, uh, that Joe Biden uh, should appoint up to four new members of the court, so that would give uh, liberals a seven to six majority. You know, we shall see uh, what ultimately happens. Um, I, I expect that uh, some of this will, will ultimately, ultimately depend on the composition of both the U.S. Senate and who's in the White House. Um, obviously, this isn't going anywhere if Donald Trump wins re-election. Mm-hmm. Daily Signal is an interesting story on religious persecution in China. What can you share about that? Well, so a couple of things, Bill, that I think are important to point out. First of all, I think that what's going on in China with the, with the Uyghur Muslims is is significant and underreported. So one of the things that, that we've tried to do both at the Daily Signal and with a new podcast at the Heritage Foundation called China Uncovered, uh, which your listeners can can check out on iTunes or wherever they get their podcasts, um, is is to expose uh, this persecution of, of the religious minorities. The, the Chinese uh, Communist Party uh, has uh, has targeted them. Uh, clearly, uh, this is this is an example of of their totalitarian rule. And uh, and just because they don't conform uh, to the way that the the Communist Party expects them to, uh, they've put them in re-education camps. And it is uh, it is truly frightening and alarming to see what's going on. And it's also appalling that uh, that, that the news media does not call more attention to this. I mean, this should almost be a front page story every day, exposing the Chinese for what they're doing. And uh, and too often it's forgotten. And I realize there's a lot of things going on in the world, but uh, can you imagine if something like this was taking place in the United States? I, I mean, this would <laughs> this would never happen here. And I think it presents a stark contrast between why we love the freedom uh, and the ability in this country to exercise whatever religious beliefs that we have uh, versus those in a socialist country like China, uh, which does this to religious minorities. Mm-hmm. Rob, I'd like to uh, jump in with a couple of listener comments, if that's all right with you. Uh, wondering Absolutely. if you guys have heard much about people trying to change their vote after the Hunter Biden info came out. Uh, well, I have, and Donald Trump uh, 
help make this a big issue today because he he suggested that uh, on Twitter that, uh, that that the people you know start to to do this. So um, you know I, I am no expert on <laughs> changing your vote because <laughs> I can tell you I can tell you that my wife and I are planning to go on election day to our polling place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm I'm unsure of what I'm going to find there. There are so many people who I see waiting in line when I go past the government center here in Virginia. That I don't know if there will be anybody left to vote on election day, but, uh, but we <laughs> shall see. But uh, but that's a good question uh, uh, in terms of changing your vote. Um, I, I think that the most important thing uh, for listeners will be to contact their local election officials and see what the process is uh, in each jurisdiction. I think the thing that we have to remember, the thing that's great about our country is that elections are, are managed at the local and state level. Um, and this is one of the things that, that our, our founders set up. Well, this is why we have the Electoral College. I mean, can you imagine if we had to redo a nationwide election, uh, even mm. when we had the, the close election in 2000? It was only really Florida that was was focused on. I mean, imagine if we were counting ballots and hanging chads all over the country, <laughs> right? Uh, so yeah. your listeners you know, should remember that. It's always always go to the, the, the local government, the, the local officials, and, and try to get a ruling and an answer on, on what to do in that case. And Pennsylvania can't start counting ballots until Election Day, and they've about three and a half million to count. So that's going to be interesting. It is. I mean, that's why I think it's it's going to be, unless it's a landslide in right. either direction. I think uh, if it's a close election, I think that that's why we're unlikely to know the winner on November 3rd. We may not know the winner on November 4th even. even. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people working, so uh, to their credit. At the same time, there are some pretty arcane rules in place that uh, that I think, uh, you know, could uh, lead to, uh, you know, a delayed uh, announcement. And you are already seeing the social media platforms gearing up for this, uh, what, what they call a pre-buttle <laughs> uh, in terms of uh, in terms of putting these this messaging out, uh, trying to um, to tell the American people to have patience and, and not uh, believe everything they read. We could find ourselves in a situation where, where, where both of the candidates may declare themselves the winner or, or, or where uh, where one of them does that. And so I think that the most important thing is just to remain vigilant and uh, and, and and not be in a situation where where you're panicked. Uh, our country has has survived uh, through elections that have been uh, contentious in the past. Uh, think about it. We went through a civil war and uh, and we've gone through, through world wars and we were still able to carry on uh, in, in voting. So uh, this is a situation where I think uh, we have the right people in place. We can resolve it. Yeah, I'm. I'm encouraged that there's so many people wanting to vote, and that's a good thing. It's always a good thing. It is. It is. I mean, to have 60 million Americans who have already cast their ballots a week before Election Day is just amazing, and I think it's encouraging about what's to come. I'm hoping that we will break the participation record uh, that, you know, from 2008, I think it was over 60% of Americans uh, voted. So let's hope so, Bill. I think it's so critical that all Americans exercise their civic duty and vote. Well, it's going to be exciting to talk to you next Tuesday. I'm looking forward to that on Election Day. On Election Day. Ta. Looking forward to it, Bill. <laughs> Thanks, Rob, for making the time. I always you. appreciate you. Yep. Rob Louie's been my guest, executive editor of The Daily Signal. You can always head to dailysignal.com, dailysignal.com to check things out. After a little break, Chris Palmer is going to be joining us. He's an author, a pastor. He's a Greek scholar. He calls himself the Greek geek. He makes uh, Greek really easy for us to understand, which is a pretty impressive thing. Be right back.
Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Chris Palmer back on. He's an author, pastor, Greek scholar. He's also uh, author of a couple of books. His Greek word study, 90 ancient words that unlock scripture. You must get your hands on it. It's great. Chris, welcome. Good to be with you again, Bill. Yeah. So a very thoughtful piece you wrote on Facebook, not to throw you a curveball, but nice work um, on that. You were talking about abortion and it shouldn't be a political issue, which I agree. It's a spiritual sure. issue, and you laid that out very nicely. Thank you for doing that. Oh, it's my pleasure. It is, uh, it's my pleasure, and I, I hope that uh, audiences can connect from it and use it to think objectively about uh, you know, what we're facing today in America. Yeah, maybe you could just explain a little of what you said, because uh, unless we get them access to it, they're not going to know what we're talking about. Yeah, well, you know, I, I truly think that when you look at the issue of abortion, it comes down to one question, and that essentially is, is where does life begin? If life begins at conception, then it's essentially murder, and this is something that we need to respond to uh, in ways that are accessible to us and available to us, and one of the primary ways being voting for candidates that defend the life of the unborn, and that gets extremely political. Uh, for people that are ob- objected to candidates and political parties that would defend the life of the unborn, I would just ask them to hear people out that take that position without getting into a tizzy over it. I think dialogue is a great place to start, and it's a great place to have a hearty and robust conversation about things that matter, like the life of those that can't defend themselves. Mm-hmm. I sent you uh, an article that uh, John Piper had written, and, and there was a number of Greek words that jumped off the page, which made me think of you, um, and they were they were. <laughs> unrepentant sexual uh, sins and unrepentant boastfulness and unrepentant vulgarity uh, describing a particular uh, person that's running for office. And and he found uh, those to be uh, as deadly um, as uh, abortion. I hope I'm saying that right. Do you understand that correctly? Yeah. I understand what he was saying. I understand exactly what he's saying. And And I think in saying that, he's correct about that. However, Okay, when you're dealing with the situation of abortion, okay, we're not just dealing with one person's own personal misgivings. We're thinking about people as a whole, and we have a right to protect people uh, that are unborn at the time. Uh, so I don't think I, I, I took issue with the, the piece that you sent me, uh, and for various reasons, uh, some of the ones that we discussed in our email exchange. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe we can talk about those. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, addressing that even briefly. I appreciate that. Uh, I want to get back it's, to it's my pleasure. Yeah, I want to get back to uh, your book, and I I find it um, always interesting the way Jesus would always uh, he took advantage of what people understood, and he would always use that as part of his teaching. And so again, he he takes the very simple principles and things that people see and touch and feel and eat, and he uh, he uses his teaching. So when we try to understand Greek, most of us freak out, and I I think that you're you're here to say don't freak out. <laughs> yeah, I just had an individual write me and say that they, you know, they enjoyed their Greek classes as much as they possibly could in the seminary. Uh, but it's almost ninety-five percent certain that unless you're um, very interested in Greek, when you come out of the seminary, your Greek will go cold, and that's probably <laughs> best case scenario uh-huh. because nobody. Once you get into the you know, ministry world, you know, you're thinking about doing hospital visits, pastoral care. Okay, you have a million things to do, youth events. The last thing you're going to do is sit in your office and parse Greek words. Um, and so this book was written for people that I loved Greek. I love what we learned about Greek. Uh, like you said, you see Greek words in a piece about abortion, and you kind of want to know, where does the chips fall with this? And, and is this individual you know, being faithful to the Greek? And, and so what, what are some resources that we could have that cause our Greek to stay warm? 
or maybe a guy like me does the work for you and and it causes you to have a good experience with Greek again and feel like you're back in the classroom, but learning at a level where you can understand. And Chris, I appreciate that you do the work for me because I love having your book <laughs> as kind of a, a, a reference book because yeah. at any given time, I can open up your book and you've got 90 ancient words that unlock scripture. And for me, that's just this beautiful reference book that I just go, I'm going to pick this up and I'm going to go, ooh, here's the word anxious. I've heard that uh, word more than once lately. Maybe you would give us a little understanding of that in the Greek. I enjoy this word. It's Miram now. And we see this word a lot because it's, it, you know, it really is it's interesting. Let me give you a positive theological thought about the Apostle Paul. I mean, here's a guy who's telling the church in Philippi, don't be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication, present your request to God. And the peace of God, past understanding, guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And Paul's the kind of guy that he has to take some of his own medicine here, okay? Because as much as he's telling people to not be anxious, you see all over Scripture that Paul, is he dealing with anxiety? I mean, he's writing to the Galatians at one point. The Galatians are you know, moving away from the things that he had taught them against, you know, he had warned them and against their better judgment and what he had told them. They're moving away from that. You find in Corinthians that he says, that one of his biggest anxieties about the church is he puts in the list, the very last thing he puts kind of, when, you, when you're looking at a list in Scripture, the very last thing can be very important because that's the climatic part of the list. And he says, the cares of the church which are on me every day. So you see that Paul, okay, if he had some, uh, you know, every now and then he probably could use a day at the spa because he had a lot on him. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, he would be, he would definitely could use a day at the spa. And so he says, don't be anxious for anything. Oh, this is something that Paul has been on the other side of. He knows exactly what he's talking about. And it's something I don't think he's prescribing. He's, you know, like the old uh, hair care for men. I'm not just the CEO. I'm a client, right? Right. And so uh, how Paul is. Well, the word here means to focus on something with such intent that you become one track minded about it and you lose touch with everything else. Uh, you know, in the personality test uh, that LaHaye does, he talks about the melancholy person. And, you know, this kind of, Paul was like this, would tell me that he had some melancholy inside of him, which means that you get uh, the, the downfall of that is that the melancholy person, the melon, the, uh, you know, they get so focused on one thing, they forget about everything else that's going on around them to their own detriment of the relationships, et cetera, et cetera. And this is anxiety. You become so focused on it that you forget what's going on around you, you forget who you are in Christ. You forget the promises that God has made available. You forget that God is in control. You forget that uh, he's working on your behalf through prayer, and you forget to pray. And it's actually a word that was used to describe a dog that would go on a trail, and he would find its way on a scent. And if you've ever seen a hound dog, if you have at home a bloodhound, or if you have a beagle, or whatever that may be, it's on this trail, and it's on this trail, it's sniffing, 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 and you can't get this dog off the trail until it finds what it's looking for. And that that's how we are with anxiety sometimes. We get fixated on a thought, and that thought begins to dominate our life and begin to focus on it. And it could be something that we're imagining, something that isn't even really there. We're focused, we're focused, we're focused, we're focused on it. And then before long, we realize we're off the trail or the will of God that he has for our life. We're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, being obedient to God. And we find ourselves having blazed our own trail into all sorts of mess and trouble and, and, and woes and and, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, is calling the church at Philippi back and saying, look, get back on the right trail, and you do this by prayer. You do this by supplication. You do this by making your request known to God. And when you do this, the peace of God, that surpasses understanding, will guard your heart and mind 
in Christ Jesus. So he's really blowing the whistle and telling the dogs to come back to the trail and stop focusing on those things that are making you anxious. Uh, really nice, Chris. I really like that a lot. How about the word flee? F-L-E-E, <laughs> flee. Yeah, so we all know a little bit about what it means to flee. I mean, one of the, so in, in uh, this is the Greek word fugo. Mm-hmm. And so we see in Scripture that it would be it would come as a very strong imperative. So one thing that I tell my, my Greek students is, when you get into Greek, don't just look up how a word, what a word, the definition of a word is, but look at what sense it's being used. And this really makes a nice uh, insertion in Scripture because he's telling you flee sexual morality. And then, and you know we have a period in the ESV. We see the we see it's a period. I would probably put an exclamation point on there because it means to escape. It means to take flight. It means to get as far away from something that you possibly can get away from. And so it's used in ancient antiquity. We go look at Homer and we see in his Iliad, it meant to escape into darkness while fleeing guards. And so you, you, if you're fleeing guards, if, you're, if you're, you're making a prison break, you're making an escape, okay? Obviously, you have this sense, you have this sense of urgency. And one thing I say in the book is that you don't flee by accident. Okay, when you're fleeing something, this doesn't happen by accident. I mean, this happens because on purpose. And one of the illustrations that I use is in 1962, one of the greatest escapes ever made, maybe if not the greatest escape, was in Alcatraz. When you had a guy named Frankly Morris and two brothers, they decided that they were going to get out of Alcatraz. And so they began to really plot this. And it's very interesting because they had to make their own tools. Okay, they worked overtime, 5.30 to 9 o'clock p.m., uh, digging through the vent holes, and then they were collecting contraband around Alcatraz at that time, including raincoats and soap and human hair from the barber shop that was there, which they used to craft the dummy to put inside bed to fake the escape. And then when the lights went out after they had, you know, done all this, they got everything into position, and they made their escape. So you see that the whole illustration is is really illustrating the intentionality of actually doing this. And so what I'm saying is that as believers, we have to really make an intentional effort to stay out of places that are going to get us into trouble. So when he's telling us flee from sexual immorality, I mean, you could say this to young people, it's a good youth message. Uh, Keep yourself out of positions that you may end up getting into that could lead you into sexual sin. Um, And I think it goes more and just sexual sin, we can carry it over into areas. If you know that something is this, there's an alcoholic who knows they have a struggle with alcohol. Well, you know, keeping a bottle of wine is not a good idea. Mm-hmm. If there's um, it, it, keeping it in your house, not, if you have, if you feel liberated where it's okay for you to drink wine, you don't have those struggles and you don't have a conscience that, that condemns it. Well, if you have somebody who struggles with it, you know, it may be a good idea to take that bottle out of sight while they're at your house. So you're not putting them in position. All this is, you know, community rules to help each other flee from things that are eventually going to separate us from Christ and cause our relationships to hurt and eventually affect ourselves. So it's an intentional effort that we do with the best of our ability to move away from something destructive. Chris, I do a lot of work with men who are in recovery from drugs and alcohol, and I've, I often tell them, when you put your shoes on in the morning, pray for your feet. Pray for your shoes, because where your feet are is where the rest of your body is always going to be. Build. Wow, that is. I'm gonna. Can I take that? From of course you? I'll you give can. you credit. No, you don't have to give me credit. <laughs> but I mean, pr- pray for your pray for your feet when you're putting your yeah. shoes on, because where your feet are is yeah. where the rest of your body's going to be. 
And if, you know, every time I talked to someone who had some relapse, they said, uh, is that my cousin's house, the guy I usually used with? And I was thinking, what are you doing at your cousin's house? <laughs> Where sure, you used to use sure. with him. What, do you, what were you doing there? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, so, I mean, this is, well, to piggyback off what you're saying, I mean, this is fantastic. I mean, that is exactly, if, I'm not even kidding. If I hadn't written this already, I'd probably use this in the book and because that's such a great example of what it means to flee. I mean, and putting this in perspective of relationships, when you look at relationships today, I just heard this song on the radio. It was a country song. Go figure. You know how country songs are. They're they're very painful to listen to most of the time. Mm-hmm. And the song and the song was the song is essentially it was easier to break up in the nineties than it is to break up today. Because in the nineties you just cut it off, right? There's no Facebook, there's no Instagram, mm-hmm. no text message. And he's complaining in the song that he's seen pictures that she's out and she's hanging out with a friend. She looks like she's doing better than he's doing because he's at home, right? Mm-hmm. Depressed and, and, and doing all this. And, and, and the whole time I'm thinking, okay, then why don't you delete her off Facebook? Why don't you delete the Facebook? Why don't, and this, this all has to do with flea. And I think that we put ourselves through things emotionally that we don't have to put ourselves That's through. That's so true. Uh, because, because we can't let go. And so this is all part of fleeing. So forever who's listening today on your show, if you're in a relationship that's taking you for loops, just flee, cut it off and, and move forward and flee. Make an intentional effort to go forth. Yeah, great, uh, great counsel. Uh, Chris Palmer is my guest. He's written a book, a book called Greek Word Study, 90 Ancient Words That Unlock Scripture. And we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, lots more with Chris. back with Chris Palmer. He's written a book called Greek Word Study, 90 Ancient Words That Unlock Scripture. And Chris, in your book, um, you talk about not fearing bad luck. The Bible actually talks about bad luck? Where? <laughs> okay. So, Don't mess with me. Well, first, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not messing with you. I, this, is, this is the truth. I was, I was surprised to find it. You know, I used to always worry. Uh, I guess there's got to be some type of superstition, I mean, be concerned about this. It really is interesting because, you know, it's some of the stuff we do because, I mean, are you the type, Bill, that if you stepped on the crack, you're worried you're going to break your mom's back? Right. You know, it's kind of like that whole that whole type of superstition stuff. But, you know, so we have to enter the world of Ephesus. We get into the text, we enter the, the world of Ephesus, and we find that, you know, these are real people that are in the church. And, you know, having been there uh, in 2011, I, I started to kind of put this together and piece this together in my head that, Amongst all this idol worship, the Greek god Ar- Ar- Artemis at the time, Mother of Fertility, they actually have a statue there today uh, that stands, which they used to, one of the statues they used to worship. You find they were given to all types of superstitions in their idol worship, and they really feared the gods. So you see when Paul is communicating, perhaps to the Romans, they were afraid of the gods' wrath. That's why the Apostle Paul says, uh, or even John tells us, you know, perfect love casts out fear. John is telling that his audience, because they're afraid of God striking them dead. I mean, here you have a culture that understood Hammurabi's law. They actually understood the Old Testament law. So you have all these religions at the time that are so fearful, angering God, upsetting God, and even pagan religions, angering Zeus. Zeus is going to hit you with lightning. You just got to go into Greek mythology to find out that these <laughs> Greek gods, and later on the Roman gods, were very malevolent beings. And perhaps even more than being malevolent, they were unpredictable. So even if you did please them, they could still strike you with lightning because they just were having a bad day and had nothing to do with you. So you always have this this bracing for 
bad to happen and no matter what you're doing, even when good things happen, there's people today that are like this, even when good things are happening, they realize it can't go this good for this long. Something bad's gonna happen. Or when bad things happening, you know, bad things happen in threes. So we've seen two bad things. I'm getting ready. So you have all this. And the Apostle Paul addresses this in Ephesians six thirteen when he tells them, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And so we find this in the Greek the statement and which is telling us that uh, being used in, in a certain case, which is talking about evil is described in the day, the sort of day that, that, that it's going to be. Um, and you find later on that this was idiomatic. Okay, so it's talking about a day which would bring trouble or a day which would bring failure, unhappiness or sorrow. Uh, and the word evil, poneros, was used to describe a whole range of things at that time, particularly an unlucky voyage at sea or a period of time where bad luck falls, like a sailor coming into a sudden storm that hits the boat and causes it to sink. And so here you have a picture of the Ephesian church who's under Christ, and things are going in a way that is making sense. They're finding purpose in their life, and they're enjoying their relationship with God, but they're really bracing for this God to really hit them with something bad. Or, you know, they're very spiritual, so Paul is talking to them in terms of spirituality, you know, wrestling against flesh and blood, uh, principalities, powers, rules of darkness in this world. He tells that, okay, to them, spiritual wickedness in high places. Uh, and so they're, they're, they're thinking some evil spirit's going to come along and just ruin the whole thing and mess the whole thing up. And Paul says, hey, you don't have to fear the evil day, okay? You, you're going to stand in the evil day. That word there, stand, means that they're going to—in the Greek, it's the present continuous. They're going to stand, stand. They're going to continue to stand. They're not going to get knocked down. Mm-hmm. And so— He's trying to really give them confidence about the message of the gospel in light of the astrology that they were into and uh, the notion of panic that was caused by just being superstitious. So what the Spirit of God is communicating, I think, to us today is that, uh, you know, we don't have to worry about bad luck, misfortune. That's why I tell Christians who are reading their, their zodiac or their horoscope, you know, put that away because those are things that are dead, they're fruitless, mm-hmm. and those are... Those are just um, fruitless things for the Christian, a waste of time. Yeah, I agree. So because I want to offer listeners some comf- comfort and assurance, maybe we can talk about the Greek word parakletos. Ah, yes. Well, Did I say that right? <laughs> Did I pronounce that right? You know, I would say for a, non, a non-Greek, a non I don't know if you have Greek class, you did really good for that. I mean, oh, I good. would say that's, that's right on point. I mean, my Greek students would get an A for that. Although, you know, I'm not the best pronouncer myself. I don't have a, a Greek tongue and. One of my friends in uh, in uh, who lives in Cyprus always gets on me about the way that I the way that I speak, but I always remind them I don't have a Greek tongue. But yes, so here we have here the Parakletos, which is the Helper, who is the Holy Spirit, and you know it is um, interesting because you know really the, the theology that we get for the Holy Spirit really a lot of it is developed in Luke. So you get it out of the Luke Acts narrative, which I'm teaching, I'm taking my students through to understand. Uh, what Luke posits about the Holy Spirit. But John also has a way of positing something about the Holy Spirit, and he calls them the helper in John chapter 14 and verse number 16. So we see this idea of the, the Holy Spirit as our helper. Um, and this is a two-part Greek word, or in Greek we call it a compound Greek word. So we have para, okay, which is preposition. You can attach it to words. Uh, and so it would mean by the side of. Okay, so by the side of something, and to the side of something. And then you have the Greek word kaleo, which would be the first person I call. 
So when you put the words together, you're saying to call to the side of somebody, uh, perhaps for help or for whatever reason you may be. So the greatest example, if you have this word before it becomes a Christian word, before we, we turn into Christianese, so we have this paracleto. So who do you call beside you for help? I mean, if you think about it, who do you call when you need help? You call a lawyer. If you get into legal trouble, you don't know the law. You don't know your rights. You don't know what you're entitled to. You don't know what you can and cannot be expected in court. So you, you call up. We have the lawyer here. You know, we call attorney Sam. I won't give his whole name. I don't want to get re-advertising, okay, or endorse mm-hmm. him. But we all know is we all know the whole thing here. If you live in Metro Detroit, you know who he is. And he says, call me if you know. I win. I win cases. Blah blah blah. And you call him because you know that. Look, when I something bad happens to me and I need help, if I call Sam. I'm getting into that court, and I'm going to win this case, but he's going to help me defend myself against the law. And so when we hear that word pericletos today, we don't hear it as a legal term to someone who's going to come to our defense. But that's exactly what Jesus meant when he was talking about the Holy Spirit. He was describing a legal expert that was going to stand beside you and assist you in the court of law, and they, and, and as a good lawyer, that lawyer is going to encourage you through the whole case going to strengthen your cause. We're going to provide comfort to you in these crucial situations and be the all-around winner for you to, to help you overcome this court case. And all you have to do is sit back and allow them to do the work. And so that's how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit, who in this time when we have an enemy that is as real to us as the shoes that we're wearing, the, 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 the hair that's on our head, the car that we're driving, it's a real enemy in the Greek, it says, uh, deliver us from evil. The word there in the Greek, evil, is, has the definite article in front of it. So it's hoponeros, which means not just a ambiguous evil or a, uh, you know, this, um, you know, some relative evil, but it's a personal evil, personality, a satanic intelligent being that wants to malign us. We come up against that opposition. We can call on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come by our side. He'll encourage us. He'll strengthen us. And he will put down the accusations of the enemy that would seek to destroy us. And so, and so when Jesus is telling this to the disciples, this is, you know, as he's leaving, okay, at the Last Supper. And so it was a, would have been great assurance that, hey, you know, he may be leaving, but we have one who's coming that is going to argue our case and he's mm. going to give to the citizens. And we see that development take place in the book of Acts later on as uh, the narrative of the church is put forth. Chris, that's so powerful. And it's a perfect representation, and, and we're not racking up legal fees on top of it. <laughs> that's a good point. He's probably the only lawyer that's doing this pro bono for all of us. <laughs> right. right. We've got about four <laughs> minutes left, and you talk in your book about uh, Theophilus in both Luke and Acts. What what does the Greek tell us about him? I love this because uh, Theophilus is the Greek word theos, which means God, philos, which means special interest. So we're talking about a guy who has special interest in God. I, I was actually teaching my class about this last night, and I was saying it could be a pseudonym. Maybe it wasn't even his real name. Maybe it was, it was a popular Greek name at that time. And so here he is, this guy who's, but he's doubting. He has his doubts. He's a Gentile who's following the Jewish movement. He's probably wondering, what are, what am I doing at this party? You know, I'm a Gentile. Everybody else here is Jews. I'm not sure why I'm following this Messiah who is Jewish. And, you know, maybe he felt a little bit put off by that. And Luke has him in mind, and he writes this volume to him. And then he follows it up four years later with another volume, the book of Acts, and he addresses it to him. And I think it's, it speaks to us because he's a doubter. 
And you'll notice that even though he's a doubter, he's considered one who loves God or he has a special interest in God, which is very important because it shows us that our doubts don't disqualify us and our love for God. But if you reverse the statement, it, it not only means one who loves God, it could also mean one who's beloved by God, mm. which tells us all the more that, that our doubts don't disqualify God's love. You know, God loves the doubter. And I, I challenge students to that, you know, doubt isn't always a bad thing. Actually, it's your doubts. You'll find that many times if you address them appropriately and, and do the right thing and, and steward over those doubts correctly, they're the very things that lead you closer to Christ and cause your roots to go deeper. It's through those questions and the exploration of those questions, which, by the way, Bill, don't always come overnight. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we want these quick answers sometimes. There was an individual who asked me a question about theodicy, which is, why does suffering happen to innocent people? And I began to uh, prepare for a discussion, as I did. He said, no, I, just give me a quick answer. And I said, you know, if, if you're always looking for quick answers, you, you don't deserve the answer to complicated questions, because not every, every thing is very easy to answer. So we want these hot pocket type answers. We put them in the microwave in two minutes, they're done. And we're talking about the most deepest questions. So God invites Theophilus, lover, to engage in following and knowing Christ through the work of Acts and Luke. And uh, so it really is a beautiful story. Yeah. And, uh, true. Every time yeah. you come on, I learn a lot. Thank you so much for uh, saying yes to being on the show today. Bill, thanks for having me and love you guys. Love and, you uh, too. Yeah. Chris okay. Palmer's been my guest. Greek Word Study, 90 Ancient Words That Unlock Scripture. We'll take a short break and be back with Todd Mulligan. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.